Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsession will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark down for a while. Hello and welcome to the dark forest. It's Jackie Cation. You know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com. You know the the credits possibly, but why don't I say them anyway? Just to give credit where credit is due. Patrick Brady is going to fix this audio. Vilmos works on the website and Mike Rickberg just sang that song you heard. He's going to sing again at the end. The donation button. Feel free to use it. February is light. Knock yourselves out, people. And, uh, $100 for the year would be amazing. That would be, that would be super fan status. And you can get, uh, you end up getting a patch or whatever trinket I have lying around. If you already have a patch, feel free to say I already have a patch. And I have some magnets left. And then, of course, there's always merch. Ranger of the Dork Forest t-shirt, which was designed by my nephew, Salmon. And it's got dorky things coming out of the forest. Those ones, union made, made in the United States. And then the Dork Forest, the new Dork Forest t-shirts, both brown and green, available at JackieCation.com, the merch page. Uh, those are just American made. And those were designed by Brett Chambers, fan of the show, and graphic designer, and now begin. I'm sitting here with uh, really one of the initial creators of the safe space of stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. Beth Lapidus. Welcome to the program. Welcome Hi, the, Jackie. The Dork Forest. I'm so thrilled to be here. I love the way you say that, the safe space. Never heard it described that way. It's nice. I like a safe space. The Dork Forest is a safe space for people to dork out about what they love a lot. I feel that. Do I feel, feel very safe in the Dork Forest. <laughs> do you feel the hominess? I do. I had some woman tweet at me yesterday. She was like, she had listened to me on Mary Lynn Rice Cub's uh, podcast, and she was like, tell me you were born in November. And I was like, I can't. I could. I, but it wouldn't be true. It wouldn't be true. And I was like, uh, July. And then she goes, I know I'm not supposed to ask. How old are you? What day in July? Wow. And I was like, it, it does feel, did you want to know how much I weigh? Uh, <laughs> it does feel a little much. It feels a lot. <laughs> Do you realize where I live? I'm not supposed to age and I'm not supposed to weigh anything. No. Did you tell her? I totally told her. And, and, I haven't heard from her uh, since. So, yeah. I don't know what, I, she might just be <laughs> seeing if. She uh, must be an astrologer. I, she's into astrology. I've had an astrology dork on. I don't know what to do with that except for all I know all I know is that I'm cancer um uh rising. You know, cuspy. Oh cuspy. I, I don't know about the you rising. You don't know the rhythm. I, I yeah. I don't know about the rhythm of the night. I think we're both out of our uh, zone on this one. We're okay, fair enough, fair enough. Although it is in my I am in my birthday zone right now. Are you in what's yes. your birthday zone? It's January 10th. Oh, January 10th. Yes. Andy Ashcraft January 29th. I don't know who that is. That's my husband. Oh, Ashcraft, and, uh, I didn't know was his right, last right. name. Right, there's no way to know it, uh, unless I say it a lot. So and he's a double A. He's a double A. And then we always make fun of, uh, like if we were to breed, and at this late date seems unlikely. But you never know. Uh, he likes to say things like, what do you think of Waffle as a name? And I was like, <laughs> I don't, I don't think of it. What do you think of David? And, uh, he's like, I don't, I don't think of it. So it goes like that. So that's, that's the first key to not having children together is no agreement on the name. Right, right. It seems to be, he, though, when we, uh, when we first got married, uh, it, there was more talk of it, right? And he was like, and then when it looked like it wasn't going to happen, he was like, it's kind of good because no kid really deserves two Two bad parents. Two oh, bad cops. I don't know that that would... Oh, I see what you're saying. Two yeah, bad yeah. cops. Two bad cops. Yeah, yeah. Because we're both uh, super grumpy Magoo around uh-huh. children where we're just like, 
yeah, we love you. You're so we can play super fun, right? But you have to be a tiny adult, and uh, you I have think to you not do it. You can. Yeah. I'm not encouraging you to. I'm actually just in a book. Henriette Mantel just edited a book about uh, essays by women who had not had oh, children. Oh, called really? No kidding. That no will kidding. Be out on Mother's Day. Oh, out on Mother's Day. Henriette Mantel, by the way, so freaking hilarious. Hilarious. Hard to be Henriette Mantel. Uh, people just that's how funny it's got to be hard to be here just just to be inside and just constantly think to yourself i am amazing because she is i saw her do stand up probably 10 years ago but um uh people might know her from probably the brady bunch movie Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. because she played alice she did uh, in the movie yes so uh that's that's where you might know her from and then you should go find her uh (laughs) because she's awesome she is awesome and meryl marco and meryl marco she's on the show uh you you're both on the show this sunday yeah you do a week is it weekly or monthly it is weekly every sunday night every sunday night has been for many years we took a breather right but then we're back but it's as it's been running, it's always, uh, uncabaret. Uncabaret. That's what it's called. Uncabaret. And it's, uh, and every, and it's been going, I was looking at it, you said 91 or you've been 88 doing 88 actually was our very first show. Shot I mean, it. the, the way uncabaret started, I mean, it started sporadically. It was not every Sunday at the beginning. The right. Very first shows. This is deep. I mean, we're dorking out, right? We're dark. We're going, so we're going is, deep in late eighties. Okay. A lot of you weren't born. A lot of you weren't born. A lot of you still aren't born. So <laughs> this is information you'll need when you become human. Exactly. When you enter this, you know, physical realm, this will become important. Um, but if you're listening in the ether, I think there's a lot of etheric beings that come to our show. Well, and be- before we go into the history of Uncabaret, um, the ones what is that it? are on Amazon? Yes. We just what? shot four episodes on Amazon. So is it video? It's video. It's it's not just audio. No, 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 no. Full, full video, full. So Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime, or you don't need to be in Amazon Prime, and you can just pay two ninety nine for high def, or even a dollar ninety nine for reg def. Rob Delaney, it's Rob Delaney, Sandra Bernhardt, Dana, Dana Dana Gould, Tig Nataro. Oh my God. um, Margaret Show. Yeah, super. Greg Fitzsimmons, Greg Fitzroops. All of those people have Jen been, Kirkman. I'm sure everyone's been on, been on your show. They've all been on the Dork Forest. Jen Kirkman talked about ghosts. Ghosts. And the UFOs. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Has she seen one? Mm-hmm. She oh grew up God. in a haunted house. Oh, my God. I've got to get her on the show to talk about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. So Uncabaret started 88 when... And one of the great things that people should know about the show is that is that in 1988, stand-up comedy, much different yes. than it is today. Yes. It yes. was a lot of one-liners, and it was a lot of um, laughs per second. Yeah. The the, the, cl- the clock was running, and it was And laughs. everybody talked about it. Everybody yeah. was like, well, you got to get a laugh every two and a half to three seconds. And you're like... Okay. What um, you have to do in order to get a laugh every two and a half to three seconds is so hideous. (laughs) (laughs) I came out of the downtown New York performance art world and I was like, you know, dude, comedy is going to be, you know, I just, I want to do exactly what I do, but make it funny. That's what I want to do. I had like a spiritual (laughs) awakening that was like, you know, comedy, life is just a joke. I mean, you get better and better, and then you, as soon as you get it, you die. I mean, life is essentially <laughs> funny. So I am going to just stop continue being to do what you do, do but make it funny. Because right? life is funny. Funny. Right. It's not so serious. You know, stop taking... And I was, you know, I was funny for a performance artist at that time, but I decided... To- that is hilarious. <laughs> it's funny for a performance artist. I don't think you understood. I was also very bendy, and sometimes I'd get nude. <laughs> well, I was also tired of people 
asking me if I shoved yams up my ass, which Ugh. at the time was, you know, I was just like, I can't say, you There's know, you're a on a plane and you have to talk to the guy and sitting next to you and what mm-hmm. do you do, your performance. And I just like, was tired of doing a was job. Was it easier to say I'm yeah, a just, comic? No, it's worse. Like, that's, oh, right. That's because life is funny. That's the right. joke. It's the joke like, is, is you don't want to talk to no, the guy sitting no, next to you at, yes, the, yeah. at all. Um, probably the good thing to say. I once heard somebody say, a comedian say that he just tells people he's a writer. Oh, I always I tell think, people that I'm a line cook. Oh. Because there's nothing more boring than a line cook. No one <laughs> will ever ask me. I get to say, what do you do? And if they're an insurance adjuster, it's, it's more, more interesting than a, than a line cook. Oh, I would though, think. There's a lot to say about cooking. Okay. I'd rather be a line cook than an insurance adjuster, yes. quite honestly. Though a weird thing, I was flying, I went with Maria to Austin, Texas uh, a couple of weeks ago just to feature, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was flying back and I was sitting next to a guy. And Austin, Texas happens to have... Uh, a 24-hour local comedy uh, radio station, and they play the shit out of my albums. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, I forgot. And then so people come and they're like, oh, I heard you on the radio. I hear you on the radio all the time. And I was like, mm, keep writing, keep writing. Yeah. And But the thing is, I sit next to this guy, and for some reason, I tell him that I'm a comic. And he's like, what's your name? And I go, Jackie Cation, and uh, expecting nothing as per usual. But he's from Austin. Oh. So he's like, are you kidding? And he, he loses his, I thought he was, I thought he was making fun of me. That's how he was like, you're Jackie. Cation. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I was that's like, funny. Yes. And he's like, I've heard all of your stuff. And I was like, oh. oh yeah, that's right. You're from Austin. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's the, that's so incredible. So, I have that experience a lot. Oh, you're, cause I feel like, you know, you're cabaret in my name and huge. in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and, you know, some in pockets, you know, it's a funny kind it's of very I'm, pockety. I have a very funny kind of, um, and then also, you know, I did the Sex in the City episode, so my face is very known from that. Which so, episode did you? I never had. Um, I was on the episode where she meets the character played by Barishnikov, who's her last. Oh, her. I was one the, of the performance artist. Oh, that's at the, the awesome. gallery. So it comes back to the performance artist because it was this amazing thing. They flew me to New York to play this performance artist who was a real performance artist. They, okay. They actually. Basically, they wanted performance they, art. Yeah, they would, they, they, um, not option, they licensed this real piece that she did, which was sitting in a gallery looking at people for like a week or something. And Why it was didn't very, they get her to do it, I wonder? Well, you know, it's Hollywood. And it's I don't ho- know, she might not have wanted to do it also. I'm looking for a Jackie Cation type. Which nope, apparently, Jackie Cation I just available. met somebody who knows her. Oh, really? Yeah. And they were like, oh, she has to meet you. She so, loves that episode so much. That would so be the much. greatest. Yeah, so I want to have her collide. come do it. Because Maria Bromowitz, and she's a quite, no, I mean, she's quite well known. Okay, I'll let and, her um, So I think I'm going to try to get her on the show. That would mm-hmm. be very funny. Mm-hmm. And try to get Michael Patrick King that night. We'll have a whole little oh, reunion. Yeah, yeah. Good Barrett. Greg yeah. Barrett. And Greg also. Right. And, and every, all the girls who worked on Sex and the City. It will be beautiful. Anyway, so in the day, uh, 1988, where, you know, so I find myself entering comedy uh, in New York at that time, you know, and I was just completely flummoxed at not just the laughs per minute sound of it. Right. Um, But the topics, I was like, is this really what people are really talking about? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I just seem so 1950s. I was like men and women being different and New Jersey and men and women I, are different. I know, but not in that way of like. 
you know. No, I know. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, like toilet like, paper under, toilet paper under, over, right. you know. It's right. like. And why do women use so much toilet paper? I don't know. It's just like, what? It and felt, it yeah. felt so old fashioned. And, and, and there, I, at the time I was such a like, uh, so anti-authoritarian and I was walking around New York wearing men's suits and <laughs> people were like, you know, <laughs> are you a Annie lesbian? Hall. And I was like, no, you know, but I am a dyke, you know, pockets and power. And That's I don't like, know. Own it. You, you create your own orgasm. You know it. I you know, know it. it. And you know, but I, you know, but then I had, oh, no, anyway, anyway. So anyway, <laughs> at the time, uh, and then I came to New York because my partner was screenwriting, I mean, to LA and then got an agent, blah, blah, blah. And then when I got here and started going to clubs, it was even worse. I mean, at least there was still New York and downtown New York and the work and people were very, you know, it felt I could find real. some pockets of like experience that I understood. Okay. Um, there were a lot of people working that I really admired as comedians. I mean, it wasn't like blanketly a horrible, mm-hmm. I New York just has sort of a pure kind of, aesthetic it's more about the work and hollywood is so that's, that's the theory anyway which well, at least it was at the time yeah, i was yeah. that was my experience and it can it can totally feel like that new york and la i mean that kind of yeah thing. yeah so i mean everything's hollywood now i mean you can't really escape it the world has really changed but at the time so when i moved here and i was just like everything is a showcase right. oh my god <laughs> everything is there's nothing but showcases and it right. was everybody wanted to get their 10 was the tight 10 you remember the tight 10 oh, everybody do was just the doing the tight 10 and everybody was trying to get their their sitcom on the air and get discovered with their right. tight 10 to get on letterman with their three minutes to get yeah. on blah 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 you know and it was just like i have a hard time saying the same thing like twice so right. it was really, and I remember I did my audition at the improv here and I used to have a joke. I loved this joke so much. It was an abortion joke. And, <laughs> For and, or against? And, uh, <laughs> Let's hear it. I want to hear it. No. Uh, I used to say, I used to come on stage and I said, and right before I went on stage, I said to the, to the, you know, the guy who's running the room, I said, so. I can't remember what it was, six minutes or four minutes or seven minutes and seven minutes. And he was like, well, however long it takes, like, obviously you're not going to do well. And as soon, you know, wow. however long it takes, it was just like, Oh my God. You know, whatever, supportive. just very, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I get on stage, I go, <laughs> no, I'm not feeling that well today. I had to have an abortion. Well, I didn't have to have one. I wasn't pregnant or anything. I just figured, you know, I had the time. I had the money. I may as well get one while they still let us. That was my abortion joke. And you know, it's a good joke, but sure. it's not a good opener. No, which is no, no. Which I was very... Not unless you follow things with even darker. Yes. Not unless the entire set's going to be at that level of dark. I, right. And I was, I have, you know, the like sweet girl... Right. There's anti- a Bethel Yes, in there. in there also, but I was always afraid to sort of be that... I don't know. So I... Anyway... I, I did, you know, I got spots when I was working. <laughs> I never worked at the I love improv. That tone of voice. <laughs> you know, it worked. People liked me. I don't understand why. <laughs> I was working. I just wasn't working at the improv. <laughs> um, I was working at the comedy store and then, you know, it was just sort of awful. There was like one night I followed Andrew Dice Clay at the comedy store and I hated him and I hated myself and I hated the audience for doing it. I was like, there's got to be a better way. And I was doing like middle spots at like, like, you know, on the road and stuff or yeah, like one horrible one nighters. And at yeah. the same time, I was still doing my one person shows right. and touring them to like art spaces. Right. To people who got so, it like, or at least com- were willing to listen. Yeah. I was like completely schizophrenic. I was yeah. like doing these horrible comedy gigs mm-hmm. and then these sort of, you know, 
lovely art world gigs. Yeah. And I was like, isn't there some way to... How can we? I just was mm-hmm. like, there's some sort of authentic merging of these two different... It doesn't feel right to keep... It was... Ugh. So, um... So at the time I had a show I was doing called Globomania and mm-hmm. it was uh, very close to when the globe was the image of the globe starting to be used as a symbol to sell things. Oh really? Like cars. Like they started to put like the image of globes in like car ads and beer ads and it was like we were just becoming world conscious. It was the time when like that image from earth above. Yeah, yeah. I mean it took a while for that but image. But it was a big re- a big advertising. It became very campaign. just everywhere in the zeitgeist you were starting to that see that image. Like it was And that was in ninety or like that was like eighty seven. Oh wow. Okay. And um I did I this show called Glo- you were drunk? Yeah, I was drunk. So but it's fine. Eighty seven, <laughs> I was in college, so <laughs> I didn't have a lot of self awareness. <laughs> well, I was cursed with self awareness at the age at, <laughs> at the a early age. age at five. You know, <laughs> this is a very not on cabaret, but you know, I was in the hospital when I was five and for a period of some time. Mm-hmm. And um I'm convinced that, you know, people have sensitivity. I can never tell if it's people who are get sick because they're artists or you're sick and then you're made into an artist. But this early childhood illness shapes a very self-aware, you know, hyper-conscious personality. I've talked to many artists who spend time in the hospital as children. Well, I think there's a lot of solo time if you're in a hospital. There's a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of downtime to just, you're, you're, tra- you're tied to a, to a bed. Yes. Well, well actually I wasn't. Will you, are you willing to say what you had? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, I had an immune deficiency disorder. There you go. Uh, okay. I called idiopathic, idiopathic thrombocytis purpura. So I felt fine actually. And it was very disconcerting because right. you're in the hospital, but you feel fine. You're, right. you're like up and about, but they're taking your blood all the time, telling you it's not going to hurt, mm-hmm. but it does hurt. So they're wow. lying. Full so, of lies. Yeah, full of lies. So early on, you think, I've been told it's important to tell the truth, but they're lying about pain. So then the one thing it's okay to lie about is pain. It's okay to lie. Pain is worse than lying. That's what I learned as a child. Wow. <clears throat> so as a comedian, I mean, this is sort of my spiritual path as a comedian, yeah. is the sense of like converting, like accepting the pain, converting the pain into comedy. That's sort of where I am spiritually with wow. of being a comedian. Tell the truth. It hurts. It's still very hard for me to, I mean, you know, even though I think I so much about like truthfulness and, yeah. you know, I am somebody who often, you know, it's like, it's my own challenge that I put, it's like hard for me to talk about the stuff that really hurts. Right. So, um, but that's some of the best comedy. That is, you know, you know it's just pain plus time. We all know, blah, right. blah, blah. So, um, and that was the challenge of Uncap because I was doing it every week as the host it was like pain plus time. Like how I would there sometimes, was no time. yeah, I would sometimes, I always had to be in the week. So mm-hmm. it's like, well, this week is really bad or it's really great. Whatever it was that week I was talking about it. So my sense of like being able to give it time and then digest it and then come up with it was never that great. So it was a very, you know, I, I've always envied the performers in the, on cabaret. I've always thought, Oh, I wish I was one of them. And people go, well, just be that you're not, you don't have to host. It's like, well, I do. That's my job. It would be right. like saying to you, you could just be the guest on Dork Forest if you want. Right, which I've done a couple. Have you? I've done, yeah, they're, they're Dork Origin. It? Dork Origin sh- shows is what they're called. <laughs> and There's then one, who, Andy, Andy hosted one oh, and Maria Bamford hosted uh-huh. one. Your best friend. So, yeah. yeah. So they were just like, well, yeah. we're going to, 
I want to talk to you about your dorkdom. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it isn't, it isn't easy though. It wouldn't be easy because then you're like, well, the, the entire show is that I host this show and I allowed this venue to exist and make in this, this space. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm not making the space, then. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then someone has to, someone else has to make, make this it. space. And if I'm not there, then maybe, but anyway, blah, blah. Right. So, um, it's hard for everyone. So. <laughs> Everyone has their Everyone issues. Has something. It'll be <laughs> so. So it had in the origin. So you bring up the word origin. So in the origin, and two things. One is in the hospital. I remember the kids were playing with needles. I mean, not needles, but the cases. Playing okay. doctor. Oh right, right. And I was thinking, you know. God, can't they play something besides the doctor? I mean, we're in the hospital. I mean, can we use some imagination? <laughs> Branch out. <laughs> Come on. House. Anything. anything. <laughs> but I was younger and I started watching them play, sitting in the hall. And then I remember being in the comedy world thinking, God, can it be different? I mean, do they have to do it this way? And I flashed back to the hospital thinking like, oh, my God. I'm just doing the same thing as I did in the hospital. Like, if you want the game to be different, like, make a different game. Right, right. Like, play make a, a different, different play a different game. Like, you don't have to just watch. So it's like, okay, okay, I'm going to figure out a way. And it was sort of, it, and that was, what was that? And it was, I can't remember that club's name, but, um, and I remember I was doing Globomania. No, this was just a comedy club. The okay. one that, that was out in the valley. Anyway, whatever. And, um, We'll edit that out. Well, everyone lives somewhere else anyway, so yeah, it doesn't worry matter. About it. So anyway, so <laughs> I remember I showed the guy at that club the card for Globomania, mm-hmm. and he was like, oh, Globo, Globo Man? I was like, oh, my God, I'm working for people that can't even read or <laughs> I have to do something else. So then I did the show at this place called the Women's Building. Okay. I don't and know. you won't know it. It's defunct now, right. but it was a little art space. I was touring to London, and I was re blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they were laughing too hard. You know, one of these nights when people think you're just so, you wish you were that funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was like, when was the last time you guys laughed? And they're like, oh, we don't laugh because, you know, we're women and we're artists and we're lesbians. And if we go into comedy clubs, they just make fun of us. Oh. I said, I'm going to make you a show when I get back from tour. Yeah. It's going to be unhomophobic, <laughs> unxenophobic, unmisogynist. It'll okay. be the uncabaret. And that was how uncabaret was born was there was this, Formed audience who wanted to laugh, who wasn't being served by comedy. And I knew that, I mean, it wasn't just me. I mean, I had made friends in the comedy right. world. People were frustrated. And then I see that there's this audience and I'm like, we're going to, I'm going to make there's some, an audience. I'm going to make something happen here. Here's an audience that doesn't want to go to comedy clubs. There's people in comedy clubs doing what they don't want to do. So I started to book the show actually there at the women's building. Mm-hmm. That was its first venue. And at first it was just like whatever you want. And then I, Taylor Negron, Judy Tall, and then they lost their funding. Then Taylor right. Negron, Judy Tall, and I did it at Highways Performance Art Space for a couple of months right. as a run, just the three of us. And then, um, and then I took a break to run for First Lady. And then when Luna Park was opening, Jean Pierre called and said, "Do you want to do something?" And I said, "I want to do, you know, this comedy night because I was still sort of going back and forth." And he's you've like, glossed over some. What is that? You ran for first lady. What oh, the yes. fuck is happening? What's happening? I'm sorry. <laughs> I ran a campaign to make first lady an elected position. It was oh, quite okay. successful. <laughs> is that on the interweb? Can yeah, I link people to you that? You can, you can. It was, uh, I did, it was, the, it was such a fun media campaign and mm-hmm. I, um, it was in People Magazine and blah, blah, blah. That's and, hilarious. You know, was, and, you know, had good, you know, the idea basically came from a joke, which was, you know, best ideas do. I is like, you know, she works really hard. Mm-hmm. So we should pay her. Okay. 
But yeah, if we're yeah. going to pay her, we should get to pick her. Oh, there you go. Let's mm-hmm. pick her. Let's pay her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was my motto. Let's and pick that, her. Let's pay her. Oh, excellent. And then it was a whole, you know, I've worked it all out, you know, where she would live and he would live and it could be a man and, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what? Uh, okay. So when Jean-Pierre, uh, when you did Luna Park, what year was that? That was, I think that was like. 94, When was 95? the election? 92. It w- yeah, it would have been 88, 92, 96. 92. Okay. So uh, as soon as that was over. Okay, so right after, in yeah. 92 sometime. Yeah, 92 okay. was Luna Park. All right. And, um. Cause I moved here in 97 and I heard about the show. Right. And people were like, oh, you should get up because my stand-up has never, <laughs> my stand-up has never been laughs per minute. Yeah. Uh, well, you're such a storyteller. I'm very much a storyteller. And so, um, when I moved here, I, I started doing Largo and, um, and I did Uncap one time and then, and I did a bunch of coffee shops and I, right. I went up wherever they would let me go up. Right. I didn't want to do the comedy store because I knew too many people who came up that way and they were all gross. Uh, I didn't like them. It kills your, I mean, I also got, I was like, it's making my comedy worse. It it's felt just, brutal. Yeah. It felt too much. And, and, and it was super hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not hard going to open mic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, it's not hard going to coffee shops. Really? I can do that. A lot of people can't. The, yeah, that's it. That was the thing. And so a friend of mine, a, a, a great comic, a really, really good comic, and now a writer and a producer and creator of shows, a guy named KP Anderson, Minneapolis guy. When I first moved here, I lived here about a year and less than that. And he was like, you know, I want to do all those alt rooms, but I don't know what is alt comedy. And I couldn't describe it because I was just doing it, I guess. And so I, but I did say, and I've said this before on the door course, which is alt comedy for me was essentially, I would just tell the story of how I came up with the joke and then I would tell the punchline. And that's, and I was like, you could try that because that's how I do it. <laughs> but that's how I do all of my jokes. I tell the story of how I came up with the funny and then I tell the funny thing and then the joke is over. Or I sadly put it in the middle and then I keep talking and then I might want to rearrange that later because that's not how it goes. But it's so, I mean, it's so interesting. Like Janine Garofalo watching her do, um, I think it must have been in like 2001 or 2002. Um, I was at a show with her, just some alt show and, and, and she was like, I don't have anything to talk about. I had to go buy a CD today because I didn't have anything to talk about. Right. Exactly. And I was like, Go to the vault, man. And she's like, I don't want to go to the vault. It's like going to the, the vault. vault. The vault bores me. Yes. And you're like, well, that's too bad. Because sometimes the vault doesn't bore me. You know, I was like, you you went out and you were talking about Tiberius and how um we went out and looked at, at yes. Tiberius. And you were like, a 15-year-old animal. That's what you want. Yes. You, know, you want an animal that lives to be 30, right? right? See, avoiding the pain. That's Avo- me. All- <laughs> that's you avoiding- You're not going to have to experience this pet death. Exactly. Pet death. And I do a very long bit about pet death and about how you should pick a turtle. Right. Because then you're in for the duration. Right. And, and it's funny because when you said that, I was like, has she not heard that bit? Because that I, oh, bit I didn't is hear everywhere. No. I, I, I don't know comedy at all. I have no, also no memory yeah. for my own material or anybody else's. And you know, <laughs> well, that's nice. When I was, I can hear <laughs> this Sunday. Oh, I can do it again. Exactly. Excellent. Um, sometimes when I'm hearing it again, I'll be like, Oh, right. I think I've heard that before. Right. But when, and if, if it feel, what I do have a sense, I'm sorry to say, is the feeling of material that's been done before. Well, you can like, hear I can always and... feel it if somebody's, even if I haven't heard it, I'm like, oh, this is not, this isn't fresh. Right. It's like that's, you know, even though you haven't had a piece of the stale bread before, you can taste <laughs> that it's stale. 
<laughs> That's like, what I have. I have a I good sense, sense that of this that. Is, this has been done too no, many times. Yes, you just sense it. Right, yeah. right. And um, and sometimes, you know, I, and even in the day, you know, it took a little while to figure out what on Cabaret was, even though I knew what it wasn't. And I remember very clearly Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall mm-hmm. was there for the first time. He was very first time he was going to do it. And he had this bag of, you know, with his wig in it. <laughs> and I was like, Scott, no wigs, no characters. Like, that's our thing. Like, no characters. Oh, wow. No characters. And he was like, I have it. And he had seen the show a million times. He threw such a freaking fit. <laughs> and so I said, all right, here's the deal. You can bring the wig on stage. So he, we made this deal. He could bring the wig on stage and talk about how I wouldn't let him use it. Right. But that right. was what he did. Oh, good. Yes. Good, good. So Cause that, that's hilarious. That was hilarious. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, we, you know, we, you know, kind of worked out, you know, what it was as it went on, but partly it's the audience is such a huge part of what Uncabaret is because are they the same people that have been coming? Well, the, you the know, we have people years? who have been coming for 15 years. Okay. Um, but we have new people every week. I mean, there's always people in the audience who it's their first time. Okay. And there's always people who have come for, you Ever. know, yeah. forever. And then there's people who are in this, ro- in this iteration, rotation. Yeah. Cause after Luna Park was M-Bar, well, actually HBO Workspace, Knitting Factory, M-Bar. Okay. Was sort of And, the, and now you're at some fancy restaurant. And now we're at a, uh, a restaurant venue called First and Hope. First in Hope, which is uh, a very glamorous, very um, glamorous Beverly Hills restaurant. Except it's downtown. Is it downtown? Yeah. Bunker Hill, in fact. Uh, downtown, it's on the edge of downtown Los I have Angeles. A, I have a GPS, and so and the world is this big. The world is the <laughs> you don't size know where of the you are. palm of my you hand. Just follow, the ru- <laughs> you just follow the path. I'm just That's following funny. that pink line. Uh, no, it's downtown, and um, it's very easy to get to on a Sunday. Zero traffic if you're That's on the true. east side of Los Angeles. It's literally... 10 to 15 minutes from wherever you are. Yeah. And, um, even and from here, which is Van Nuys. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not more than 20, 25 easy. minutes. Yeah. yeah. And the parking is easy and it's right across from Disney hall and the music center. It's in a really lovely little cultural. Anyway, it's a fancy one. Partly the food is excellent. <laughs> the food is excellent. And the room is a great performance room. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's a restaurant and then there's a separate performance it's a separate room space with its own bar and it's a its little own, speakeasy. Yeah. It's sort of like a little speakeasy. Um, um, it's, it's, uh, it's not anything like yet. It is exactly. Exactly like JR's in Valencia. All right. Uh, which is in a Marie Callender's. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they have a separate room with its own bar and it's, and it, there's been stand up there for 15 years. Yeah. It's and, very uh, contained. It's mm-hmm. small. I mean, it has some things make a good stand up room, a low ceiling, as you know. Sure. Good sight lines, warm, comfortable, good chairs. Right. Um, all of a sudden it's a Todd Glass discussion. Have you ever talked to Todd Glass about what, what's needed to make a good comedy room? Oh, no, I haven't. He's like, the music cannot be loud. It cannot be loud. It has to be peppy, but yes, not loud. Peppy. The, the lighting, very important. People need to be able to see their menus, and yet we, I don't need to see them. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's all this, it's all of that. And it feels so, very specific. It's very specific. And so, you know, there's a place for comedians, but not to go away. You know, there's all this different stuff. And so, I mean, partly it was seeing this room, you know, they wanted me to do something in the room and I'm coming up with like a million different yeah. ideas for what to do. Maybe I want to do this project or that project. And then Mitch Kaplan, who's the musical director now, was like, let's do On Cabaret. I was like, I'm so done with On Cabaret. I said, <laughs> I'm done with it. I've done it. It's right. over. Right. And he's like, no, we'll do it. It'll be different. I'll do, we'll do music with it. And you know, and I the thought, music is different. And you got it, a, like a band behind yeah, you. There's and, a band. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, it's a little less loosey goosey. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the organization is nice and it's, and it, and it still feels like a safe space because the audience is, is very much there like, 
where do you want to go? Yeah. Let's go there. Right. This is the audience issue. And so one thing is the audience, when we started on Cabaret, there wasn't anything like this. So I was working my Rolodex, come to the show, and I literally had friends saying, I hate stand-up. I hate stand-up. <laughs> like, people were just like, and I kept going, it's... All the- your theater friends were like, no, I've yeah. seen it. And it's like my terrible. screenwriter friends yeah. and, you know... My, all my friends, right, really, right. pretty much. Yeah, everyone you'd ever met. <laughs> everyone hated stand-up. My family's like that. Yeah, I hate like, stand-up. I'm like, I, I get it. I kind of hate it too. This mm-hmm. is different. So like one by one by one by one, you know. But then what started happening is people started loving it and people started bringing their friends back. Yeah. And then you start realizing, oh, we can't repeat material. And now I don't want to book a billion different people. I have the people I like. They're my right. friends. This is what I want to do. I like this kind of comedy. Right. And so then it's you're like you're fascinated with the 20, you know, the 20 people that you know, you're like, what's the next thing happening in your yes. brain box? So then I was like, so you just have to keep doing new stuff. Right. So <laughs> you're like, I'm sorry, Margaret Cho. Stop it. Let's talk about something new. new. And she's like, I'm in. I'm, I'm in. in. Yeah, that's yeah. What, and then because of that, the back mic developed because people were talking about new stuff and I was hearing having questions and I essentially was the audience and, you know, one of the things, this is maybe, you know, in, in a technical way, one thing that stops people from laughing, I started to see, was a question. If anybody ever has a question, they can't laugh. A question will keep people from laughing. Okay. And so if you're Julia Sweeney and you're talking about blah, 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 and, you know, and it's like, you know, in 19, you know, 85, when my house burned down, blah, 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 you know, and people can't go blah, 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 because they're like, wait a minute, your house burned down well, in 1985. What I just did is I just, I just did that to you. I was like, well, you glossed over something here. Uh, what happened? The first lady. The first yeah, lady right. Thing. Exactly. Exactly. So, so that's where the back mic that's came That's where up. the back mic came. It was just in the room and I just had questions and it wasn't like a formulated, like, I know I will have a back mic and ask questions and keep it in the moment. But then such, I mean, one of the other things that really, mo- I mean, there's a, it's always takes more than one thing to make something happen. So yeah. there was, you know, Luna Park being available which, and it was a really great room. I mean, in the analysis of a room. Space. But it was also a thing where you walk downstairs to get into it. So there's a little bit of like entering subconscious territory and also on the staircase you faced a big mirror Mm -hmm. and then you turned away from your image and walked downstairs so it was really like ego letting go into subconsciousness and there was no dressing room so the performers were in the room and it was always a little too small and right there's a lot of things that made it a great room and um see the weird thing is is that there's so many comedy clubs that are in basements and i never thought of it like that i always thought of it as oh it's got that good dank uh-huh. It's got that good, crowded, weird dank that I like so much. And, but that's exactly what it is, I think, is like you go down into this like other space yeah. and you're like, now I am away from the world. Yes, it's safe. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because I think one thing we really struggle with now is there's, it's a harder to have a safe space. I mean, you were using, I was talking to Tim Bagley the other night and he was like, I was on the show last week and so much fun. And he was like, you know, really, I, when I did it the other week, Laura Keitlinger was on and it really felt like the old days. And it's just like so much harder to have that feeling of safeness now because everything's recorded and I don't want things to, you know, and and expectations like, yeah. are so great. And I don't, he was like, and there's certain things I want to say and I don't want to have them get out. And I mean, I struggle with that all the time. It's like, you know, what can you say? Right. Cause say everybody this? is recording and you're like, you can tell them not to record, but, um, and, well, you know, it helps not to be famous, but you have a lot of people that are kind of big in their fields. Right. Well, I do. I mean, I'm in the back of the room, so I am always keeping an eye on people. And we do have a lot of people watching the room. And, you know, people have recorded, have had their own people record them. Right. And, you know. Yeah, that's different. But, yeah. Um, 
you know, I'm knocking on your dork wood. Yes. And, you know, so far, so good. Yeah, um, because, well, I mean, the, there's, and that, that's been discussed ad nauseum, no doubt, but it's, there has to be a safe place for, right now, right now, somewhere in the world, hundreds of comics are offending someone. Right. Because uh someone in the audience said something that made them furious, or they're not listening, or they're not good at it yet. Uh, there's, you know, I mean, because there's a, there's a level when you get to in stand-up comedy where you don't have to start yelling racial epithets. Right. Or Greg, uh, Greg Fitzsimmons, I'm sorry, did a great set on the Amazon uh, episode he's on about the rape, you know, incident. And he does which have rape a, incident, you know, the incident at the Laugh Factory. Oh, well, yeah. Was um I actually do not know was oh. there was there rape at the lab? No, factory? you know where what's his name said where Daniel oh Daniel Tosh, Tosh Daniel Tosh rape heckle wow incident. very current very because that just happened like two three months ago yeah. Max so he did, has this thing on the on the episode about that and then why rape can be funny and he's and and <laughs> he has a whole list of things that should never be spoke talked about and then he do, goes through that list excellent on the show he's he's he had a great set oh my yeah. god. Um, Greg Fitzsimmons is genuinely one of the funniest guys. He really is. I've never seen him. anybody be as filthy as him and have old women just laugh and laugh. Yeah, he really can get away with he, it. He can get him and Doug Stanhope both have a have a real gift for making people that are like, "What is happening?" and they're laughing. And he's talking about horrifying. I think things. it's partly because he is truly so smart. I mean, yeah. he's actually a very, very smart guy. So even though he's doing it, there's an intelligence behind it. And you can almost see that he's judging himself for doing it. <laughs> like, you know, he's done dirty stuff at the Uncap. And then he'll go, like, why, am you, why are you forcing me to do this? You know, midnight, Friday night at a comedy club material. I'm, I've got to talk about politics. You know, he's right. always like trying to get to the other stuff. Right. He's try- he, he wants to rise above it all. But he's so funny because in, in, in many ways, he's just... He's he's incredibly smart, but he's also very simplistic in the way that he's just like, this is also hilarious. Yeah. And I have to talk about yeah. it. But I think you're right. You can feel him judging himself. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. There's something not, that pulls the sting out of it. Yes. Somehow. He's not so salacious. And that, that's the other thing that I think I, I've always looked for performers who are very three dimensional. To me, you know, when Greg does salacious material, it's three dimensional and he has this other thing happening. There's more to it. Yeah. There's people who have conflict. I'm always interested in people who have worrying parts of themselves, brilliant people who are self doubters. Right. You know, <laughs> right, right, right. People who are willing to scrabble around in their own brain boxes and find something interesting to yeah. talk about are and my favorite comics. So it's like, you know, that sort of. That's that. And I mean, you know, people talk about alt comedy a lot and what it is, but there's so many different shows and different kinds. And I just think, you know, well, there's alternatives to all kinds of alternatives. Yes. So that's the thing. That's the beautiful thing of it. Yeah. So have you been to Minneapolis? Very percol- I have. Been, I was in Minneapolis in my early performance art days. Have you ever met a woman named Leslie Ball? No. She, uh, she does a show called Balls. And that was, the, that was the, um, it's a variety show. Mm-hmm. Like you can see lesbian dancers or Native American drummers or lesbian drummers and Native American dancers. Wow. Uh, anything can happen at balls. <laughs> it's at midnight at the Southern Theater and has been for the last 25 years. Oh, wow. And she's a musician. So uh-huh. she has a lot of musicians come and, um, she has, this might just be hearsay, but, uh, this is the story about Leslie Ball, which is she's one of these women who you meet and like yourself is very beautiful. Aww. And, um, and just like people are fascinated, like she Leslie. Let's Ball, focus on that. Do you really think I'm pretty? You really think I'm pretty? Really think I'm What's pretty happening? happening? No, if I am. 
Why do we have to talk about Leslie Balls? <laughs> right. We're, Leslie Ball does balls. And, and it's, and it's a very, it's, a, it's supposed to be balls out, right? And so, and she dated Elvis Costello and Billy Bragg. Oh, at the right. same time? No, different. Oh. But, but supposedly Elvis Costello wrote a song about her. And, and there's like this, all this weird, oh. but her life is, 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 she's, it's, it, you remind me of her. And so when I moved here, you very much reminded me. And oh, she's wow. very cool. Oh. It's, it's very, it's a flattering comparison. Oh, thank in, you. In other news, let's keep talking about you. <laughs> okay. Okay. So well, I love a flattering comparison. Yeah. But it, but it's, it's a lot like that where, where the, she was the alternative to the alternative. Mm. And, and there was an, uh, the, my favorite episode of Balls was, I think it was the curator of the, uh, the, the Guthrie or the art museum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Guthrie. And he was drunk and it was his birthday. And he came dressed as Cher and, uh, stuck a vibrator up his butt. And that was performance art. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we were all like, no, no, actually it isn't. But, uh, <laughs> I, okay. I love you. You're, you're, you're trying something. And he was very drunk and he played a Cher song and he was wearing a skirt and he took a vibrator. And we don't know if he stuck it up his butt because we, he thank pretended. you God, we didn't have we to see close. it. But the entire Minnesota audience had a very Minnesota moment of when it was over of this sort of half. <laughs> Half weird clap. And the only honest reaction, oh. uh, is, was Maria Bamford. It was in 1992 or three. Oh, uh-huh. so, you guys and, knew each other back there. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so and there was this silence of this weird clap and then dead silence. And then from the, in the middle of it, Maria Bamford goes, Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was performance art, but it was genuinely an re- honest reaction to, cause that was the reaction oh we were God. all having inside. That's funny. No, you know, when I was in Minneapolis, I met David Byrne at some opening. Oh, that's neat. Um, yes, I learned a good lesson. I don't know what, you know, I said to him, oh, it was really great to meet you, blah, blah. I was there performing. And I was like, oh, you know. And I said, I really love Talking Head 77. Why do you say that to somebody? The first thing they did. Oh, my God. Well. Anyway. I, but there's it's a good lesson it's, to learn it's when always, you're young. I think I uh, don't ever say that to someone. The first thing they did. I love that thing you did when you were still good. <laughs> I, I met Walter Koenig and, uh, who's that? Uh, he played Chekhov oh. on uh, Star Trek. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, so, cause he's Daniel Koenig's dad and who's Daniel Koenig is married to Jimmy Pardo. Oh. And she's a writer and a comic uh-huh. and, uh, she is very sweet, but he came to see a show and it was at Luna Park uh-huh. in the basement. Uh huh. And, um, I was like, can I, would I, you be willing to introduce me to your dad? Uh-huh. And she's like, yes, I will introduce you, uh, Jackie. You got to keep it together. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she was very sweet. And, um, and so, but I did say, uh, I, I was, I said something just, just as queer, which is just, I, I was, I just said to him, I really appreciate your work. And he did that eye slide of oh. famous people of, I can't actually make icon. Thank you. Thank you. I got to move on with my life. And he was just very polite, but it was, yeah. I wow. felt like such an idiot. Well, you learn these lessons and I have to say, I have had the great good fortune of spending some time with Joni Mitchell over the past couple of months. Oh my God. Yeah. I spent New Year's Eve with her and. Might she might want to dork out? <laughs> well, you know, first I'm trying to get her to uncab out. Yeah, you got to get her to uncab first. Um, there's a there's a chain. She of is such an amazing storyteller. It's just beyond her storytelling skills. Oh yeah. But you know, I I keep that David Byrne lesson in mind. <laughs> <laughs> right, keep it together. Everybody's human. Everybody's everybody's insecure. Everybody's working on their next. You project. know, just learn. You know, I have to say one thing about doing uncab for me is I have learned to listen a lot better. I feel like one of my life lessons is listen. You know. 
Yeah. As a born talker as you are. Yeah. You know, over the past few years too, I've really, I've been doing a lot less on stage this year. I mean, I really tried to embrace my role as producer. What would it take to really make this show successful? Like really Just even better and even, even better, mm-hmm. you know, to keep a weekly show going. I mean, you know, I mean, to produce, gotta fill the room and to fill the room. I mean, there's like so many jobs. I mean, I, I, I'm not complaining. It's the same world we're all living in. You know, right. you do it too. You're a producer, you're a booker, you're a promoter, you're a performer, you're a writer, you know, right. right. It's, um, and, and you know, sometimes people will say, why don't you blah, 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 blah. And I'll, you know, I just say, Oh, that's great. Do you want to do it with me? I mean, it's just like, you know, I'd, I'd love to do podcasts. Like I really want to have like a podcast from on cabaret where we right. have backstage stuff and I interview people. I'm like, I really want to do it. I think right. it's such a key to the success of on cabaret would be, it would be an amazing event. I mean, it'd be great. I, I don't people know how I could do it myself. Well, so I'm looking for a partner. I what you need that is uh, someone to work on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need a partner. Need. Yeah. I need a partner. I think yeah. it would I mean, it'd be great. So, you know, but meanwhile we did, these, you know, and, and at the same time, you know, this year producing these weekly shows and to produce these four episodes for Amazon. Right. And to learn how to be a producer. To, I mean, you know, video Greg, producing and, you know, Greg Miller and I produced together for yeah. all those years and then we split up. So yeah. it's like, okay, wow, that's, that. This is going to be a lot. Hosting, producing, you know, and, you know, I'm doing it with Mitch and he's a producer also. So it's not right. alone. Right. But, um, and, you know, there was, a, you know, we had other producer with us. And you have a M's. team, but it, there's yeah. so much work involved. <clears throat> there's just so much work involved. And everybody's always suggesting the new thing. It's like, have you thought about skywriting? Yes. Yeah, yeah you yes, could do I that have. with On Cabaret. You know, I mean, somebody <laughs> suggested the other day, which I thought was a great idea. Bring in, have footage from the old days and then, you know, have like a before and after. Right. And I was like, that's a great idea. Do you yeah, want to do it? You know, yeah, and, I have a full-time job at the Tonight Show. Does anyone want to go through hundreds and hundreds of hours? Of, <laughs> well, you know, of, we do have this footage that Dayton Farris, who shot Little sure. Miss Sunshine, they shot for one of the key years at Luna Park, and they were, were they're working on a documentary. Then they got pregnant with twins, mm-hmm. and then they said, bye! Mm-hmm. But after Little Miss Sunshine, they have said, you know, they're going to work on it, and I've, you know, there's some talk of them them coming back. But is our 25th anniversary this year? Okay. So I keep thinking we should do some big, something big, 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 something, big, something big, big, something big, 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 something big, you know, to uh, build something. Well, I guess what I, you know, something big would be to just try to put these Amazon episodes out and have people actually watch them. Right, and right. See them. Now, so you did four of them we and, did you, four and of you them. just did them. We right? just did them and over then, the summer. And then you might do another four. Or, or, well, there could be a full, I mean, it could be, a fifth. Uh, you know, or it could become a weekly thing or a monthly thing. You know, what does the market bear? How, what would an right. ongoing series be? Right. I mean, to me, that's a more, a more appropriate and, and they would like to do it this way too, you know, not to do four and put them out. I think that was hard. Right. Uh, but we did one and they loved it. And then they were like, we'll do three more and then we'll see. We don't want to just put up one. And then, right. you know, what, what would it take? There was a little bit of experimentation. Like, what does it take to make them? Yes. You know, like, what would the process be? Because it's not and like was Amazon shooting on your another side show. Because there was not, we didn't create a show to be shot. We were, in a sense, making mini documentaries of shows that really existed. Yeah. So there's a 
you know, and the budgets were so small, so yeah. you don't have full-time people. And so what does it really take to make that, you know, reality? Right. So, the, the bare bones kind of thing. You, you yeah. saw the, the very basic of how it could be done. Learning so yeah. much learning, you know, and then we did some backstage stuff and how to integrate the backstage stuff with the on um, camera stuff and ha- what kind of editing it takes to make these very organic, you know, 12 minute sets, 15, you know, 10 to 15 so minutes. So you've been learning like how to direct and how to, I didn't direct because because, I mean, I've been learning. I've learned a lot. Just I'm you must be now. seeing everybody's yes, I'm seeing like, everybody's jobs. And, you know, a lot of the directing of this stuff, it's not like directing a film where you're, compo- you know, yeah, you not- are making shots. There's yeah. shot making. Um, but it's shot catching more but, than shot making. Yes. Well, you are so live. The, yes. I mean, we chose, we were in the venue. We chose the shots because we chose the venue and blah, 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 blah. Right. Um you know, I think the lighting, we still, you know, didn't quite the sound. You know, there's a lot of tech. There's so much tech. Were, were you drawn to any of it? Were you drawn to any of it? Like, Other I want to learn more. Yeah, uh, of those jobs were, that you wanted to learn more about. I'd like to learn more about the jobs that I am already doing. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'd like to be good at these things. I don't actually need to learn how to I edit audio. I definitely do not want to edit. I definitely do not want to direct. I definitely do not want to, uh, you know, I like it's the technical stuff uh, that, that does that kind of makes your head go crazy. Yeah. I mean, and it's already with the websites and the this and then that we're already, you know, I'm already doing, you know, peaking my meter on the amount of tech that has to be done. I'm like, <laughs> are you well, do, are you doing your own website like on cabaret.com? Uh, I do. I run it, but, um, I actually am right now having it redesigned. So it's going from a Drupal website, which is for all tech people, you know, it's like much more technical to a WordPress website, which will be a lot easier, but there's oh, been a lot to of, integrate. Yeah, a lot easier to keep up and, you know, a lot, some, I know like a little bit of coding and, you know, I don't do that much. I do some blogging and I do the, you know, well, but this guy Vilmos does my website and he's got it set up so that I can just change the, the, the calendar by myself, which right. is good. Yeah, I'll be able to blog easily and the Twitter feeds directly into it and, right. you know, all of that, but it's been the setting up of it. Um, you know, I love working with people and sort of making a team. Okay. I learned that I st- I do really love that part of my job. Yeah. And, you know, bringing people together. Um, I don't want to do, I'd like to do more of the writing and performing that I love. I'd like to do more of the interviewing that I love. I'd like right. to do more of the producing. Yeah. I wish, you know, I'm working on like the next book and, you know, what's the last book? The last book was called Did I Wake You? Haiku for Modern Living. <laughs> That's right. It yes. was the haiku book. It was the haiku book. book. That's awesome. And then I do the writing for, and that stuff actually all came from performing. You know, I had years of, I moved into this house and I moved into, you know, my office and I had literally a three foot stack of uncabaret material. It was new material like every week. And I was right. like, I know there's a book in there. Like, yeah. there's got to, I'm going in that office and I'm not <laughs> coming out till I have the book. And I thought I'd come out with like, you know, my running with scissors or something, you know, yeah. and I came out and I was like, it's a book of haiku. <laughs> Why? Why? Why, Sandra? Why? Why? Why have I I been set up to put out a poetry book in this day and age? Literally, I like went through my writing and it was like some I had written on purpose, a few, but then I had all this material that when I looked at it on the page, my stand-up looks like poetry. When I write my stand-up, it doesn't look like, you know, when I write pieces, I do another show called Say the Word and I write in memoir form and I do do that. Right. But that's like a little bit of a different voice. Is that and a storytelling? Or were you that reading? is a reading night, yes. It's a reading and night. I wanted to reach out to performers who 
we have no all these like you do too. I mean, you know, all these great TV writers who are so funny, yeah. but not quite in, not quite not for stand up. Yes. Yeah. But personal, they wanted to write personal pieces. Yeah. So that work, you know, so then there's some crossover, you know, Kevin Nealon is, does it and Dana Gould and Moshe Kasher. So sure. there's like crossover, but then there's also people like John Canale who would never do stand up and Winnie Holtzman. Um, so all sorts of different people. Right, right. Well, that's, I mean, that's neat. So that's, that, that used to be, so that's, that's another show. We do that at the Skirball. And, um, but you know, no, I, you know, I had my show 100% happy 88% of the time. <laughs> that is the show. That's the solo show. That's the solo show. And that's the, I was working on that book. Uh, we were talking before when yeah. we were off the dark forest just in life about mm-hmm. the crash, the economy crash. And oh yeah. The effect. I wrote that proposal, uh, I'm a really good agent at William Morris and, Sent it out. I'm going out to everyone. Very confident. Very confident. Blah, blah. (laughs) And like every single person wrote back and was like, love the writing. Nothing bad enough happens in this book. Right. There is there is a dream out there for every sad sack memoir has to be a sad sack memoir. But Laurie Kilmartin, have you read that? uh, That that uh, how to be a shitty mom? That's um, that's good. It was great. This was like about eviction and all the editors were like, eviction? That's not bad. What's so bad bad about being evicted? Yeah, Moishe Kasher's thing is just such a a goddamn nightmare. One after another. Right. So then, but you know what happened when they, this is the blessing of rejections. When I heard that, it was like nothing bad enough happens in this book. I was like, (laughs) in my heart, I knew something bad enough is going to happen. (laughs) It was just hearing that. It was really the strangest thing, and I didn't know what it was going to be, but I was like, oh, things are about to go wrong. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> and they did. It was really crazy. Are I was you like, writing that book? If I could ever have 15 minutes from, you know, sending out emails and tweets about who's on the show next week. Right, right. The I have started to write. Of- you know, the, when yeah, I was a little in the middle of it, you know, there was yeah. the leaving the house and, you know, the breakup and leaving of the yeah. house and, you know, such amazing two years of chaos. Um, right. Um, really so building many, character. So, right and left. Yes. And so many miracles, like so many miracles, even while it was happening, you know, so much movement and so much, so Just many people, people showing up and new people and well, that's neat. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Meeting new people and, forming, you know, new friendships and seeing who's really there. And it's really like, I'm, I'm so grateful for these two years and I'm hoping that it's well, so everybody's very ironic to come to understand your own misery while you're in the middle of doing a show called a hundred percent, right? 88% of the time <laughs> learning to act. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, well, that's, I mean, you know, people consistently say, well, how do you do stand up comedy if you're sad or if you're in a bad mood? And I'm like, well, I tend to do stand up comedy about being sad or being in a bad mood. Right. And, um, uh, mixed reviews on the results uh, of the audience. But then I do the rest of my act, which, you know, is all true and, and, and is guaranteed, you know, it's guaranteed. What I tend to do is I, I tend to open with a new joke mm. and then, or new, like the newest thing that's working. Right. Because I like, I like the rush of doing a new joke. Right. So, and also you're in the moment. I mean, you know what? It's I, more fun. And you know, I teach and what I tell you know, students is always like the reason people go to stand up is to be in the moment with someone. Yeah. I mean, otherwise you could just watch TV. You could just watch it on TV. Yeah. Have you heard Emo Phillips joke about the difference between live comedy? And- I haven't. Uh, Emo Phillips says you got to see comedy live. You do. If you see comedy on television, it's like incest where you've given up quality for convenience. Oh my God. <laughs> 
Emo's going to be on the show. Oh, I'm pretty good. Psyched about oh, that. that's going to be interesting. His, his dorkdom, the palpable intelligence of Emo Phillips when you're even talking to him. Wow. Is brutal where you're just like, you get a wave of just where you're like, dude, you, do you have a PhD or wow. did you just, I mean, he's now, I genuinely know him from his early work. Is he a storyteller also? He does do some storytelling, but he's, his stuff is so weird. He would be great for Uncap. Would he? Yeah, yeah. I think he would. This is how it happens. This is how, this is how it happens. <laughs> Beth Lapidus, this is how it happens. It's been an hour. Oh no! I know it. Oh! We didn't even talk about yoga. There was oh. some talk that we were going to talk about yoga. I knew we wouldn't get to yoga. We didn't get to yoga. I'm, I'm so, that's a, our second hour. We'll our second back, hour. Yeah, when you run out we'll of We'll be guests. about how you dipped yourself in, in, in the, in the rising bread dough of yoga for many, many years. Many years. And now you're done. I know I lived it. You know, I owned with Johnny Mitchell on, on, on New Year's Eve. That's my new yoga. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. You know, off well, the mat. Rangers of the Dork Forest, you have been uncabbed and, uh, and it was great. Hey, when this drops, everyone should know I'm going to be in Toronto doing a live dork forest. I will have just been in New York City doing a live dork forest. All of my stand-up sets obviously available, JackieCation.com on the calendar page, the show page, the, the live page, whatever the hell it's called. I forget what Vilmos has called it. Anyway, uh, Toronto and then Indianapolis, Broad Ripple outside of Indianapolis at the Crackers or, or something just like that. And then I'm home back in LA for a while. Another live The Dork Forest, January 28th. I'm speculating about who that guest will be, but it'll be January 28th, 7.30 at the Nerd Melt here in Los Angeles. Thanks a lot. Bye. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh my god. Thank we you. why don't we just call that as the end of the show?